0: what I was going to preach about, and I sent her about an a essay long, uh, well, it's going to be this and this and this, and she's like, I really have no idea how to figure out how to sing about that. And then she sings that song that is perfect. That's exactly what I was trying to say. It's, uh, it's amazing how that works. God is good. But thank you so much for that, Sandra. that uh Sandra. Just a, an amazing reminder of God's mercy and grace uh, this morning. If you would be opening your Bibles and turn with me to Luke, uh, Luke chapter 18. Look at verses 9 uh, down through about uh, verse 14 in Luke 18, and then look at the first 10 verses of Luke 19 uh, as we talk just about that, about the fact that the, the only hope we have this morning is the grace of God towards us. Um, and to get there, I, I, I thought I might share with you a little, just a little story of, about this past week, um, partially because. I want to and then partially because I think it, it it helped me think through what Jesus is trying to teach us this morning. We went to uh mister Whiskers to eat the other night. We went there because the kids love their hamburgers and because typically we get we get good service there and that's always an issue for me. Like if we don't get good service we end up having to sit there for hours and hours and hours. I it's not a good night. And so, anyway, we went and we had good service. And we, we were sitting in the back room. I don't know if y'all have ever been there or not. But it's kind of loud. It's kind of noisy back there in the back room that they have. And so we're sitting there. Me and Crystal are sitting on one side. The kids are sitting on the other. Well, I don't know if you know this about me and my wife. But we tend to argue. Uh, not, like, actual argue. At least not out in public. We wait until we get home to have the real fights. I'm just kidding. But, uh, well, not really. Y'all know how that goes. But, uh. Don't judge, you know, you know. So anyway, I said something uh, smart-alecky, because that's typically what I do. And she says, what'd you say to me? Like that, And, and so I kind of leaned in, and then she leaned in, and she leaned in a little further, and I leaned in a little further, and I was like, ah, here's my shot. See, there's something that she dislikes just about more than anything else in the world. And I saw my shot to do it. So I just went ahead and did it. I stuck my tongue out and stuck it right in the middle of her ear, right there in the middle of the restaurant. And I mean, you should have seen her face. She was so mad there for a second. And then we both got to laugh. It was a wonderful time the rest of the evening. Right, sweetie? Yeah. She doesn't want to admit it in public. But as, as I was thinking about that, and I thought, yeah, that's just one more thing on the list of things that Crystal says, see, that's why you don't listen to John he'll get you in trouble well she said that to me the other day at home and my response to her was what if i start telling people don't do what crystal does and she said like what (laughs) and i said nothing (laughs) i want to live right (laughs) and we moved on and well here's the deal guys in any healthy relationship, especially in a marriage relationship, there has to come a point where you get away with things with each other, and you let each other get away with things, and you don't call each other out on every little thing, because if you do, you know what's going to happen? There's going to be a lot of fights about things other than just weird things out in the, Mr. Whisker's back room, right? It sounds even worse when I say it again, but anyway, uh, <laughs> sorry, I apologize, I need grace this morning. Which is what we all need in any real relationship. We need grace from one another. And the reason we need grace is because we're not perfect. I don't know if you've ever met anyone who believes that they are perfect, but that is not a fun relationship. It's hard to grow in your relationship with someone who believes they never do anything wrong, isn't it? It's really hard to work things out if you always come at things from the, the standpoint of, I'm not wrong, you're wrong. It's really hard to deal with people like that. It just is. We all tend to do that on occasion. We all tend to have that tendency. If we're honest with with ourselves and with each other, it makes it hard to have a relationship. Because when it comes to God, it makes it impossible. In order for us to have a relationship with God, we have to be willing to say, I'm a sinner. We have to be willing to say, I'm not perfect, I'm not right, I have messed up, I have disobeyed you. And so Jesus tells this parable, this story, to teach us a lesson in Luke chapter 18, beginning in verse 9. He says this, uh, uh, he says, uh, verse 9, he also told us this parable. He told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. Two men went up into the temple to pray. One a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. And so the setting that Luke gives us is that Jesus tells a parable to talk to people who believed they were righteous and treated other people with contempt. You notice what he says here, that they trusted in themselves that they were righteous. And then they treated other people with contempt. And so... Jesus is talking to people who believe that they are right and that everyone else is wrong. Like I said, that's not fun to be around folks like that, is it? It's not fun to be around ourselves when we're like that. Jesus is speaking to people who look to themselves to find their right standing with God. He's speaking to us when we believe that we can look in ourselves and say, God, this is why you love me. See, the natural human tendency is for us to look in ourselves and say, God, what is there about me that you love? How can I prove to you that I deserve your love? How can I prove to you that you owe me your love? That's who Jesus is speaking to. When we believe that we can look internally, look inside our own hearts, look inside our own lives and say, this is why God loves me. And when we believe that, when we believe that our own righteousness, when we believe that our own actions can earn God's merit and earn God's favor, what do we tend to do? We tend to turn around and look at people who aren't doing what's right and say, how terrible you are, you filthy sinner, right? I mean, I can see your sin. I've hidden my sin pretty good. Uh, You can't see it, but I can see yours, and so I'm going to judge you. Ever been there? Ever done that? We talked about that a lot this morning in Sunday school. But, but Luke is writing this and Jesus is saying these things because if we're not careful, we will have a tendency to where when we hear God's Word preached, when we hear God's commandments given, we will immediately begin to look within ourselves to prove that that doesn't apply to us. Tell, tell me you don't do this. Like when you hear God says, do this, you immediately begin to think, well, do I do that? I don't know if I do. Oh, I maybe, I don't know, but, you know, that one time I did that, that was justified. Like, that, you couldn't really count that time. I mean, come on now, I'm really not, you know, and we begin to justify our own actions in light of who we are and our extenuating circumstances and judge everyone else. Or maybe that's just me. I don't think so. I think we all tend to try and figure out ways to prove, no, God, you don't, you don't have to be mad at me i haven't done anything really wrong it's hard not to uh look into ourselves and so jesus says uh let me tell you a story about two men who go up to the temple to pray one's a pharisee one's a tax collector now we know the difference between pharisees and tax collectors right i mean we've been in luke for like a few weeks now right i mean we've been in luke for a while jonathan points this out on a regular basis when he first came i was like yeah i think we'll be in Luke like four weeks he's like uh we've been there since i got here but anyway plans change you know it happens but uh so jesus says once a pharisee once a tax collector the pharisees are the religious people they're the ones who want to kill jesus because he hangs out with people like tax collectors tax collectors are not the religious people the tax collectors are the sinful people and so these are the two groups and we'll get into them a little bit more here in a second but look at verse 11, if you would. The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed thus, or prayed this way. God, I thank you that I am not like other men. I not you just love that? God, I thank you I'm not terrible like those people down the pew from me. Extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. How would you like to go to church and somebody's praying out loud like, God, thank you for not making me a sinner like that guy. Like, can you imagine? You'd be like, oh. Well, anyway, that's what this guy does. Or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week, I get tithes of all that I get. And so the Pharisee prays, God, thank you for making me without flaws. Thank you for making me unlike all these people around me. What's he doing? He's comparing himself to the people around him and saying I'm better than they are. Thank you for not making me uh, an extortioner. Who's an extortioner? An extortioner is someone who uses their power... To be able to get money off of other people, to rip people off basically, to, in, you know, to influence people by threats to get their money. That's what tax collectors do. They would go around and they would use the Roman government, they would use the Roman soldiers to take people's money. Unjust, again, ripping people off, adulterers. He's like, thank you, I don't, I don't sleep around on my wife. Or even like this guy over here. And he, and he goes through and he lists out the things that he does do. So he doesn't just talk about what he doesn't do. So he's a, he's a good family man who does right by the people around him. Uh, and he takes care of the people around him. And he's, he's faithful to his wife. He's a good guy, right? I fast twice a week. And so he's disciplined. Like in his religious uh, situation, in his religious actions, he's disciplined. He fasts twice a week. Let's be honest, guys. I have a hard time fasting twice a day. I don't even want to skip one meal, much less twice a week go without eating. Do y'all? Any of y'all this disciplined? This is pretty impressive. I go without eating twice a week. Not only that I give tithes, I give 10% of everything I get. We talked about that a few weeks ago. So not only is he disciplined, not only is he a good family man, not only does he take care of the people around him, he uh, supports the kingdom of God. He supports God's kingdom by giving 10% of everything that he gets, down to his herb garden. He's a good guy. Like, if you knew him, you'd say, this is a good person. If anyone's getting into heaven by being a good person, it's this guy. He's the Sunday school teacher. He's the deacon. Like, he's a trusted member of the community. Sometimes when we read these passages, I know I have this tendency, I prejudge the Pharisees, and I automatically assume that's the villain, right? I mean, that's the bad guy. There he is. But if you saw this guy on the street, you would say, He's a good person. I can trust him. I can depend on him. He, for all intents and purposes, he is a good person by our standards. There's nothing wrong with him. If you looked at his life, you would say, this guy's got it together. He's got his act together. He's doing what he's supposed to do. Now, let's look at the other guy. Verse 13. But... The tax collector standing far off would not even lift up his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. So, this other guy, this tax collector, has a pretty short prayer God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Well, the one guy, he's not an extortioner, he's not unjust, he's a good all around guy. The tax collector. The exact opposite. He does extort money. He extorts money from his own family, from his own friends, from his own countrymen. He has figured out a way to finance a really good lifestyle off of the backs of the working people that he grew up with. Like the tax collectors, what they would do is they would get power from Rome. Rome would give them uh, power to go around and collect taxes. And the way they made money was they collected extra taxes. If somebody owed 20 bucks they would say well actually you owe 25 and they'd be like that's too much i can't pay And they, well okay you can tell me that but don't tell the roman soldier when he shows up next week that uh you better pay me 25 then he would keep five for himself and pass the other 20 on up that's how they operated that's how they made their money they were helping to support an occupying army in their own hometown They were helping to support a group of people that were uh, oppressing their own nation. That's who the tax collectors were. Everything that the Pharisee is, this guy is not. And everything the Pharisee is not, this guy is. He's not a good person. He's not even pretending to be a good person. He doesn't even care if anybody doesn't think he's a good person. But he stands far off and his prayer is simply, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. God, show me mercy. I do not deserve your love. I do not deserve your favor. I do not deserve your salvation. He is saying, I can't earn your love. I can't get to the point that I deserve your love. My only hope is that you show me mercy. Jesus is asking us the question this morning, why would God show this guy mercy? Why would God love him? If you look in Him, if you look in His heart and you look in His life, you look at the way He lived, the answer would be is that God shouldn't. He doesn't deserve it. Look at verse 14. This is Jesus' explanation. I tell you, this man, speaking of the tax collector, went to his house, down to his house, justified. That is, right with God. Rather, than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but to the one who humbles himself will be exalted. So Jesus's answer is that the guy who goes down right with God is the guy who has nothing to offer and simply says, give me mercy. God, if you don't save me, if you don't show me mercy, I'm doomed. I have nothing to offer you. Nothing I can say. If I I give you this, Lord, can you save me? If I do this, will you save me? Look at how good I am. He has nothing to offer. Nothing to give. He can simply beg for mercy. And Jesus says he gets it. He gets mercy. He gets a right standing with God. That's good news this morning, guys. That's really good news for us. If we're honest... In our hearts, if we really believe what the Bible says about who we are, we can never stand and say, God, you des- I, I deserve your mercy. God, I deserve your love. God, I deserve your salvation. We can never say that based on who we are. Jesus is speaking to us who believe that we can look inside and find something that will prove to God that we deserve him. And he says, no, the one who's justified is the one who says, I can't earn it. You see, God's love is not earned, it is given. God's love can never be bought. It can only be given by him according to his grace. The problem with the Pharisee is that he believed that he had gotten God into his debt. He believed that by his actions, by his lifestyle, by the good things he had done, God owed him. God, I thank you that I'm a good person and I deserve your love. Where the tax collector understands that the only reason he's getting mercy is because God gives in. That's why the guy we would probably call a scumbag is the guy who goes home right with God. And the good person, the person that we would trust uh, to watch our house while we're out of town for the, for the week, is the guy who goes home far from God. Because he doesn't understand there's nothing he can do. He doesn't understand that God does not want partial obedience. God does not grade on a curve. He does not look and say, well, you know, they tried really hard. I guess I'll let them in. No, the only way we get in is by admitting that we are sinners in need of a Savior. This Pharisee goes home far from God, not because he's a bad person, but because he doesn't understand he needs grace, he needs mercy. He doesn't understand that the only way he's ever getting in is by his mercy. And so one understood his need of a Savior, the other never got it. Guys, God's love isn't earned, it is given. Until you understand that, it's it's impossible to walk with him. And so I want us to look at what this looks like, because the answer we usually get is this. um, Well, if you're according to this, then we can just go out and do whatever we want and God doesn't care. Well, what does repentance look like? And, and so that's why I wanted to look at Zacchaeus. Remember the wee little man? A wee little man was he? He climbed up in a sycamore tree. Don't make me sing it. Y'all know who I'm talking about. Luke 19 verse one, and we see this response of a very sinful man. He entered uh, Luke 19 verse one. He entered Jericho and was passing through, and behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector. And was rich. And he was seeking to see who Jesus was, but on account of the crowd, he could not because he was small in stature. Now, usually when we think of Zacchaeus, what do we think of? We think of a lovable little, you know, uh, one of the three stooges or whatever. Like, oh, this is a goofy little guy. I remember him from the flannel graphs. Y'all, y'all probably don't know what flannel graphs are, but I remember the pictures I colored of him growing up. Like, he's just a cute little dude. That's not who Zacchaeus is. He'd be closer to like you know, Don Corleone than than one of the, of the, uh, the Three Stooges. Like, he's a guy who can make things happen to people that he didn't like. He is an important person in his world. He's not someone to be messed with. Remember, tax collectors are extortioners who the Roman soldiers back up and take care of. Luke tells us that Zacchaeus isn't just a tax collector, that he's a chief tax collector. In other words, all those guys going out and extorting money out of people report back to him. He's their boss. He's the guy who decides who gets a beating and who doesn't. Like he is a a, a guy who would have been feared and respected at the same time because of this fear. Luke tells us that he's a chief tax collector. And not only that, that he is rich. And so he wants to see who Jesus is it doesn't say that he wants to see Jesus it says he wants to see who Jesus is he wants to get a measure of Jesus uh, I believe and so think about this for a minute if you're Zacchaeus and you're a chief tax collector and you keep hearing stories remember all the tax collectors and sinners all the prostitutes are all flocking to Jesus everywhere Jesus goes these people are following him In Luke 15 we, we learn that the religious people are mad because there's this huge group of sinners that are following Jesus around who did these folks used to work for? Well, chief tax collectors. It only serves the reason that some of these used to work for Zacchaeus. Maybe even Matthew or Levi, who Jesus calls away from the tax collector booth to follow him. Maybe even he used to, follow, uh, used to work for Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus is hearing about this guy named Jesus. He says, who is this guy? What's the deal with him? Now, if you're Zacchaeus, are you going to trust people with their word? I mean, think about who he is. You're going to see who they are, right? He wants to see who Jesus is. He wants to see if he's the real deal or some sort of con man. So he climbs up in a tree because a little, wee, wee little man was he. And so, verse 4. Oh, that's not in there, is it? I'm sorry. I, I'm just kidding. But verse 4. So he ran on ahead and climbed up into the sycamore tree to see him. Uh, for he was about to pass that way. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down. For I'm going to your house this day. For I'm going to stay at your house today. Y'all are going to remember this. You're going to remember this story by the time we get done. I promise. And so he says, Zacchaeus, come down. Can you imagine the look on Zacchaeus' face? Like this dude is climbed up in a tree looking for Jesus. And he looks down and Jesus is standing at the bottom of the tree. Like this had to be an awkward moment for him. And Jesus isn't just standing at the bottom of his tree. He says, hey, get down. I'm coming and I'm going to stay with you today. What? So what does Zacchaeus do? Look at, look at verse six. So he hurried down, hurried and came down and received him joyfully. Remember who Zacchaeus is. Guys, this is out of character for a person like Zacchaeus. You don't tell Zacchaeus what to do. He tells you what to do. Jesus shows up. He says, get out of the tree. It says that he hurried. Guys, I'm a lot bigger than my kids. And half the time when I tell them to do something, they don't hurry. Right? Right? Zacchaeus is so excited for Jesus to come to his house, he hurries and comes down. And thus it says that he receives him joyfully. Not only does he hurry, he does it with a smile on his face. He's excited about seeing the Savior in his home. My my son, my my wife and kids are going to see Mamaw this week. I don't know if y'all saw him on the front row this morning, but he's excited He's excited about Mamaw like he's dancing. I thought he was going to be up on stage here in a minute. He was going to have this, uh, a full-blown service. But uh, anyway, he, I mean, he's just excited. He can't contain himself. Zacchaeus is excited. He can't contain himself. He is joyfully receiving Jesus into his home. But then look at verse 7. And when they saw it, notice the distinction here. And when they saw it, they all grumbled. He's gone into the, be the guest of a man who's a sinner. Who are the they? They are the people who look to their own selves for right standing with God. They are the people who believe that God owes them. They are the people who, when they hear God's word, say, this does not apply to me. I sure wish my cousin was here this morning. I sure wish my co-worker was here that won't leave me alone. I sure wish this person was here to hear this sermon. Hey, let me share this verse with you, Right? They, they are the people who believe that they got it all together and everybody else just needs to take a page out of their own book. They believe that they are in a place to judge the people around them because they have arrived and that they are righteous. So Zacchaeus, the chief tax collector, receives Jesus joyfully into his home and the religious people stand outside and complain about it. They're mad about it. They're mad about how this looks how this reflects on Jesus. How could he sully his good name by being around those type of people? Look at verse 8. And Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I have defrauded, ripped off anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. I am give them back four times what I stole. Now, for those of you who have been with us on this journey through Luke, when Jesus shows up at a religious person's feast or house, do things get better or worse, typically? He typically says, what does he say? He, he says, hey, listen, you're wrong, and all your guests are wrong. You people aren't doing right. Like, he embarrasses everyone. Like, there's a fight that breaks out every time. He never shows up at a Pharisee's house and leaves without getting in an argument. When he shows up at Zacchaeus' house, Zacchaeus stands up, welcomes him, and shows him honor. He doesn't call him teacher, he calls him Lord. I'm done with my old life, Lord. I'm ready to live for you. I'm done with who I used to be. I'm ready to serve you. I'm done ripping people off. I'm going to pay them back four times what I owe, and I'm going to give half of everything else I got to the poor. Why? Because I'm done with the old style of living. I'm done with who I was and I want to be who you want me to be. The difference between Zacchaeus and the religious folks is Zacchaeus realizes he needs a Savior and he realizes Jesus is that Savior. The religious folks still believe that they don't need a Savior. The religious folks still believe they can look inside themselves and find a Savior. They can't. Only Jesus can save us. Only Jesus can offer us forgiveness. And so Zacchaeus gets it. He knows he's a sinner. He knows he has broken God's law. He knows he deserves God's judgment. And so he's willing to give Jesus everything, to give Him the reins of His life and say, whatever you want, you can have. You see, in some ways, it was a lot easier for Zacchaeus than it was the Pharisees. Zacchaeus, was not under the impression that anyone thought of him as a good person. Everybody knew Zacchaeus is a sinner. And Zacchaeus knew that everybody knew that Zacchaeus was a sinner. This was not some big revelation to him. It was not some big revelation to them. And it certainly wasn't to Jesus. Everyone knows who Zacchaeus is and what Zacchaeus does. So for him to stand and say, I'm a sinner and Lord I repent and I want to follow you, Well, duh. But for the Pharisees, this is a problem. Because they don't know that anybody knows who they really are. They don't know that anybody knows what they do when no one's watching. They believe their sin is a secret from everyone around them, and it may be. But their sin's not a secret from God. And they're not really aware of that. See that man standing in the temple and saying, God, I'm such a good person, I'm such a good person. It may be so, but I guarantee you if you follow him home, there will be a few things he either does or says by the time he gets home or once he gets home that he doesn't want anybody to know about and he thinks God maybe doesn't see it. Or maybe he thinks that everything else he does outweighs the bad. And Jesus says if that's the way you think, if you think you can earn it, you'll never get it. You can't buy God's grace. You can't buy God's love. It can only be given. Zacchaeus gets this. It's easy for him to understand that he needs forgiveness. Look at verse 9. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, since he also is a son of Abraham. What's interesting about this is that if you look at uh, John chapter 8, when Jesus is talking to the Pharisees, he tells them, he says, You'll have the truth, and the truth will set you free. And they say, Hey, we've never been slaves to nobody. Like, we're children of Abraham. He's like, No, you ain't. If you are children of Abraham, you'd act like Abraham. You're children of Satan, is what he ends up saying to them. The Pharisees, the religious people, you're not Abraham's children, you're not God's people. But then he says to Zacchaeus, the chief tax collector, now here's the son of Abraham. Now here's somebody who's God's people. Now here's somebody who's walking with the Lord. Now here's someone who's going to receive salvation. Why? Because Zacchaeus gets it. He calls out for grace, and Jesus provides it. That really is. Guys, that's the be-all and end-all of the gospel. That's what it comes down to. Uh, First John 1, 9 and 10, if you want to look there later, uh, basically says when we confess our sins, Jesus removes the penalty and the shame. Like He takes away the guilt of our, uh, of our sin. He takes away the, the things that we deserve because of our sin. He pays for that. But He doesn't just do that. He takes away our shame. He is faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Not only does He take away the fact that we deserve God's punishment, He gives us a right standing with God so we don't have to walk around guilty and shameful anymore. He, he allows us to walk around with our head up because of who He is, not because of who we are. John says, if you think you don't have sin, you're a liar. Like, you've deceived your own self. You haven't, you haven't even tricked everybody around you. You've tricked yourself. And so, Jesus offers to wash away our sins this morning the way that He washes away Zacchaeus' his sins. Look at Verse 10. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. Why did Jesus come? He came to seek and to save the lost. Zacchaeus climbed up in the tree because he was seeking Jesus. What he didn't know was the whole time Jesus was coming right for him. Like the whole time he thought he was looking for Jesus, Jesus was coming to him. He was looking for him. Jesus came all the way from heaven to earth just to get old Zacchaeus. And us too thankfully. The, the fact that this church is here this morning proves that Jesus is seeking you if you don't know him. It, it, it proves that he desires to save us. He desires for us to have a, a relationship with him. He wants to give us grace. He wants to give us forgiveness. You may think this morning that, that he doesn't care about you, that you're, you know, that you're, you're too bad or whatever. You're not going to get any worse than Zacchaeus. Like You may be bad this morning. I'm not going to deny that. But Zacchaeus was badder. Is that right? Can I say that? More bad? Baddest. Badderest. Like, you don't get worse than this guy. But Jesus came all the way to save him. He's come all the way to save you. The, tru- the truth, though, this morning is that you've got to be lost before you can be found. The folks who didn't think they were lost stood outside and complained about Jesus. The man who knew that he was lost went in joyfully before the Lord. Let me ask you this morning, have you ever come to the place where you realize that you're lost? Where you realize you can't do it. Like you are actually lost. Like there's no way you're ever getting in. There's no way you're ever earning His salvation or His love or His grace. It's not happening. It's just not going to. We have all broken His law. We have all broken His commandments. If you ever come to that place, you say, God, I messed up. Be merciful to me, a sinner. If you haven't, would you? You know, there's there's a lot of reasons that uh, I I love my wife, but one of them, I think, more than anything else, is her ability and her knowledge of me and the fact that she loves me anyway. You, You guys know what I'm talking about? When you have a relationship with someone who knows who you are, knows everything about you. You can be yourself and they still love you. Like, think about all the freedom that gives you. can put down. Uh, y'all, y'all know what I'm talking about? Like when you're dating, you're one person and then as you get married, you morph into who you really are. Did that happen to anybody else? Well, Crystal knows exactly who I am. I don't have to pretend to be somebody I'm not and she still loves me. I can be free with her. I can be open with her. I can be vulnerable with her. That's the relationship that God is calling you into this morning. To quit hiding who you are and to simply trust that he will love you in the name of Jesus. Love you because of who Jesus is. Guys, quit trying to pretend that you don't need him. Quit trying to pretend that you don't need his grace and that you're okay. Be truthful with him. The the most amazing love on this planet is love that is given in spite of who you are. That you are accepted as you are. Not as people hope you would be. But as you are, to simply be accepted. And and that's that's what God offers us in Christ. Uh, You know, we we sing a lot of times, just as I am. Why do we sing that? Well, because we come just as we are. Zacchaeus, well, Jesus came to Zacchaeus just as he was. And when Jesus got there, he said, "I, I need it. And Jesus said, you got it. If you've never received him this morning, receive him. And if you have, guys, his purpose was to come to seek and to save the lost. How many people in your life are lost? Are you seeking them in the name of the Lord? If this is Jesus' purpose, shouldn't it be ours? When's the last time you invited a Zacchaeus to church with you? When's the last time you shared who Jesus is with someone around you? Or encouraged someone to find out who Jesus is? A couple of weeks we have Easter coming up. It's a natural time to say, hey, come to church with me. Find those folks in your life that are looking, that are needy, that want a a, a relationship or don't even know that they need a relationship with the Lord. Bring them with you. Share the gospel with them. Ask them to come with you. Who who are you investing in? Who are you seeking after as the Lord uh, is seeking after them? Uh, I would ask you this morning to ask yourself this also. Who, who in your life are you not showing this love that Jesus has shown you? Who, who are the people in your life that, that you're expecting to get their act together before you show them any kindness? Would you repent of that and show them the same love that Christ has shown you? And if you haven't trusted in him, I'm going to ask you one more time to put your faith in Jesus and be saved this morning. If you would stand with us. And if you stand... As you say, I'm going to pray, and as I pray, we're going to get ready to sing, and as we sing, you come. God, I thank you. Lord, I thank you for your grace. I thank you for your mercy. God, I thank you for your love and and your compassion for us. Lord, I thank you that you saw us out in spite of who we are, in spite of all that we have done. Lord, you have sent your Son in our place. Lord, I pray that this grace would, would reign in our lives. God, that this grace would be a part of who we are as we talk to each other, as we talk to the people who are not a part of our church. Lord, that we would take this grace to the ends of the world. Lord, I pray that you would use this grace to change our hearts. Lord, thank you for loving us in spite of the fact we could never deserve it. And Lord, would you show us in our hearts what we're trying to hold back from you and simply... Uh, help us to open up to you, Lord. Give us this grace that we need. We pray in Jesus' name, Amen. Would you come as we?